0: Welcome to Trailblazers. My name is Eddie Temple-Morris. And I'm Nick Hawks. And in Series 1 we talked to legends like Gary Newman, Fatboy Slim, Goldie and Marianne Hobbs. You can go to Deezer.com for the full interviews or subscribe to Trailblazers via your usual podcast provider.
1: So Trailblazers is all about celebrating the uh, very finest uh, pioneers and game changers and visionaries in electronic music and uh, we were really pleased to get Paul Oakenfold as the uh,
0: first guest in this new series and this was uh, this was done at a kind of an opportune time because just as we were doing the interview he was about and we couldn't talk about it mm. at the time but mm. we knew it was going to happen mm. he was just about to do the first official DJ set that's right at Stonehenge yes because of course there have been lots of illegal parties there mm. have been many DJs that have played there in the past but he was that was the first actual official DJ set yeah well, it, I guess in this millennium anyway <laughs> um, at, at that uh, yeah. legendary site and what a what a, an incredible sunset night that was. We yeah, were there together. We were. We
1: both went down. There was about 50 people there. And, and it was a shame that we couldn't really talk about it in this episode because it was still very much under wraps and it hadn't been announced and all the rest of it. But uh, subsequently, yes, it got announced. And uh, that news travelled globally, didn't it? There was stuff on everywhere about that Stonehenge DJ set. And, yeah, it was a very memorable thing. Amazing visuals. And it's online, isn't it, if you want to have a little look at the, the DJ set there? Absolutely,
0: yeah. Paul Oakenfold and Carl Cox back-to-back at Stonehenge just after we recorded this, an incredible celebration of possibly the world's first superstar DJ.
2: Deezer Originals Trailblazers Paul Oakenfold
0: Welcome, dear friends, to another episode of Trailblazers. My name is Eddie Temple-Morris and by my side, as ever, XL Recordings and Positiva founder Nick Hawks. Together, each time we light a warm and friendly fire and invite another dance music legend like Nick to chat to us by the fireside to talk about the cultural fires they started and to play us some of the tunes that soundtracked their fascinating lives. This week's fire starter is a DJ and production legend, one of the original three that took dance music overground in the UK, boss of the Perfecto brand, godfather of UK trance, soundtracker to Hollywood big guns, and probably the only man in the world that's seen as many armpits as Fatboy Slim. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, even, most impressively, I've just, armpits. I've, just, I've just, well, you know, you don't want to slag your crowd. Um, even more impressively, one of the only two men in dance music ever, to have rocked a mullet and got away with it. <laughs> i want to bring
3: back the mullet.
0: <laughs> Paul Oakenfold, welcome to Trailblazers. And if you, you bring if you bring back mullets, then mullets are back.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, first of all. And uh, on that mullet, my hair don't grow anymore. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weave. <laughs> uh,
0: so yeah, I, so I it's going to be an attached mullet. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, you can do that. You know, girls do that. Did you, you, you have, know, have a, m- a mullet, Eddie? I never. I, that's one one haircut that I've never. Rocked. I've, still had fancier, some, I've had some. Du- no, village. definitely not. I've, oh, okay. I've, I've had some dubious hair. I've had you okay. know. I've had dreadlocks. I've had <sighs> plaits I've had plants yeah. But I've never had. Ooh. I've never had the mullet. Okay. Paul, has, Paul has got one on me. Uh, oh, on, on and, a and historical, there. historical thing. But well, if it? you think about it, it's a rare thing for people in you know for people in dance music to have a mullet. Ah, pretty rare. It's only it's only, it's only Paul and Jacques LeCant Stuart yeah. Price. Okay. You know who, of course, Madonna is the is the link the link between you. Bring back the mullet. Dot <laughs> That's it, mate. That is it. Well, I'm going to let uh, let Nick we we finish the interview f- now. Yeah, yeah. I said, ah, get our coat now." Get back,
1: get back to the music. All right, Paul. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us, man. It's so hey, brilliant welcome. to have you Thank along. You. So, look, you've had a truly illustrious career. You've done so much, uh, achieved so much. On the DJing front, we'll, we'll talk about production and running labels and all of that later. But on the DJing front, is there? any one moment that stands out as the the biggest highlight it's a very interesting question cuz i I actually get asked that a
3: few times. Mm. It's really difficult to define one moment. Over the history of me DJing, I've always felt that electronic music doesn't just need to live in clubs. So whether it's the Great Wall of China or main stage at Glastonbury or or Coachella or Mount Everest Base Camp, or even when we started our own club, Spectrum, when we really shaped Mm. where electronic music was going, in 88 these moments and supporting some of the biggest bands in the world on Mm. stadium tours it's really difficult to go that's the one I don't know which
1: one no Hard to say. It's hard. It really is. Something I was also thinking about with all of these amazing sort of moments, <clears throat> and particularly like yeah, when you're getting into this thing of like Great Wall of China, Mount Everest, you start to run out, don't you, of amazing. No, there's a few. There's a few. Well, what's yeah. on the list then? There's a wish list.
3: I'm approaching it in a different way now. So, this is the first of a few that I want to do for charity. So, oh, And
1: we're talking about the Mount Everest, the Mount Everest so, thing. And
3: ever- yeah, right. So this, based on the question and where moving forward, there are some locations that I'd like to go to. Yeah. Have you ever played in Cuba out of interest? Yeah. You haven't mm, done the that? The first one was for Radio 1 in 1999 when I was the resident for the Essential Mix. Right. And I've played in Cuba twice since and I go there
1: in December of this year again. Right I, I ask that because there's not that many untapped markets but hardly any western DJs have played yeah. there you know Well Cuba's interesting Havana first of all mm. I mean
3: when we went with Radio 1 we smuggled turntables in and you should have a listen to the, the essential mixes that's quite well documented from that time I will yeah but last time I was there not last year a year before we yeah. did a workshop ah. so, and performed with a Cuban band and we charged a dollar to yeah. get in. So we had like, you know, about six, seven hundred kids. And electronic music is starting to become like it is everywhere yeah. now, globally. There's pockets going on in, yes.
1: in Havana with people making electronic music. Because as you know, mm. it's very musical. Oh, it's an amazing <clears throat> it's an amazing country. But uh, yeah, you know, it just struck me when I was out there as as maybe that's somewhere where there is you know, uh, a lot more to be done. But, you know, there'll be others, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> no, the, the,
1: it, it's not so much
3: now for me, the country. It, it's why are you doing it and what's behind it? Mm. So with Base Camp Mount Everest, the idea was I've never hiked. I've never slept in a sleeping bag. I come from London. So first of all, can I do it? And I trained six months for it. Why are you doing it? Because we wanted to shed light on what had gone on with the earthquake there and raise money for children. Yep. Also, coming from London, I mm. wanted to shed light on the school mm. that I went to because they've cut all their music budget. Mm. So we several lads set off to see if we could do this. So I became really fit, which was yeah. great. We raised 100000 for children. And it was one of the greatest experiences I, I've ever had. And through electronic music, where I am in my career, I can shed light on those moments. And more to the point, I'd like to, you know, yeah. as we touched on earlier, isn't it about time that we're all giving back for the next yes. generation and we're leaving a legacy? And, yeah. and I think, In anything you do in life, generally you get to a moment where you go, I'd like to do that. You know, Electronic music has been great for all of us. Yes. And if you have an opportunity to do that, Mm. then why not? You you also get to a point where you're travelling the world all the time. You're playing in the same clubs, which is wonderful, but you're on this treadmill just Mm. doing
1: this. Mm. So it's a case of how can Mm. you make it different and how can you create a bit more impact rather than just... I played in yeah, Sao Paulo. Maybe gonna... it's like I played in Sao Paulo, but look, I was able to help. Exactly. Blah blah blah. Plus, yeah. tick off your bucket, your bucket list. Yeah, <laughs> so, well, but no, Can we just, just
0: rewind to the bigger story for me in that in that incredible sentence, uh, extended sentence there? The bigger story for me was, and this is massive. You've never slept in a sleeping bag. No. (laughs) So growing (laughs) up, what the hell? You've never went on a camping
3: holiday. No. See, so growing up in South London as a working class guy, you don't go on. you, You don't leave London. Then I lived in New York, then Amsterdam, and no, I mean I never really had the opportunity to go camping. Right. I'd probably go glamping there. Yeah, yeah of course. You, of course. Don't, you don't go camping. So, so,
0: you were, so right. growing up, you were nature deficit, as they yeah. as they said. There's this yeah, Japanese uh, thing urban. called forest bathing, yeah, which yeah. has been... Pr- they've, they've, they've just this week put out um, the, the, these uh, scientific figures to show that, you know, that um, hanging around in a wooded area is incredibly good for you, yeah. really good for your mental do you health. Hanging around in a wooded, really wooded area as no. much, Eddie, no. do, do oh, not in a creepy way. No, like, no. no. Yeah. Are you sure about that <laughs> We've heard rumours <laughs> I, you know, I love a forest pave. You know, yeah. I, I love a forest pave. But, um, but in all seriousness, that's amazing that you, that, you know, you you never had that. Path, no, you know, and, as and growing up. So when you when you say, so let's rewind it back to where it all started. Then, so South, you're, so you're a you're South so London boy. I was boy.
3: born in I was born in Marlin. Yeah, moved to Highbury, and then I lived in South London. There's right. no wooded areas there. There may be a green park, Brockwell Park. And, yeah, yeah well, you can't camp, camp, in camp in Greenwell <laughs> Brockwell Park. Yeah, you can't and camp then, there. And then moved to New York and there's nothing you can't you can't be in high park with a tent so i i never really experienced that so when the opportunity came okay you're going to go and do the outdoor thing and it's fantastic right mm. and as you mentioned it was on the bucket list to go and you know really do it properly go out there and and that's what we did and mm. it was a it was terrible experience. (laughs) Minus (laughs) It was 16. I'm in a sleeping bag. I'm sleeping on the rocks. And and we we documented this for a film. You'll see the struggle. Yeah. And the film comes out later this year. And, you know, it wasn't easy. I'll be totally honest. It was really difficult. I bet. But I really enjoyed it. And that, to answer your question again, Nick, this is what set me on this trail now. If I can challenge myself... Make money for children. Yep. Hence, that's why I did the UNICEF thing on the weekend. Mm, mm. Have fun, be with my friends, have a laugh, and play some
0: music en route. Then why not? Yeah. What could be better? So were you musical as a kid, growing up in South London and Highbury? Did you play instruments and stuff? So, So going back,
3: my dad was in a skiffle band. Oh really? What did he form, play? So it, it was in a guitar. the yeah. form of a rock and roll band and skiffle is a form, a British form of rock music. Yeah, every uh, Saturday evening, uh, you'd get dressed up, wear the suit. You know, it was the one night that they could go out. And my mum would go. So we grew up around music. Mm. I had piano lessons. My dad was teaching me guitar. We were listening. Five, six years of age, first music. I'm ever hearing is Elvis and Beatles. Mm. I always wondered why I knew the lyrics to Beatles songs many years later. And mm. it wasn't until my mum said, Well, because we were always playing the Beatles and Elvis. Mm. So it was just there, similar to what your producer said with his children growing up the, yeah. in this environment. It's there. So I grew up in it. And I had a fond memory of music before my dad passed, and, and we always discussed music. It was just part of your DNA, and I suppose that's what's kind of led me to to here.
0: And was there a tune back then? I presume either an Elvis or a Beatles tune that that provided you with your first kind of
3: musical yeah. memory. Yeah, it was a Beatles tune called "She Loves You." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah.
2: Trailblazers. She
3: So that was a big moment uh, for me because my mum was more Beatles. My father was big Elvis fan. Yeah. And he passed, and the year he passed, I got asked to do a remix for the Elvis Presley project. Of course. rubbernecking. Yeah. And I said to him, if I can put my father's name on the sleeve dedicated to my dad, I'd do it. Mm. And they agreed. Mm. And it was just, it kind of wrapped that whole moment up of, you know, growing up with my dad, him passing, me doing that tribute and and the Elvis estate allowing me to put his name on the sleeve.
0: And it was a real wonderful moment. For for me personally. So, Paul, what's one of your tunes? Like, I, I guess the next phase was when you started owning your own music. Yeah. You know, then and when did you start kind of buying seven-inch <coughs> singles like we all did? You know, what like and what was the stuff that was turning you on? Like, you know, at that at that time. Well, at this
3: time, when I started to come into my own, I was influenced by radio. I think, like a lot of us, and, mm. and so I would listen to radio. Listen to the the countdown, as uh, uh, as they call it. Which um, radio station? Radio One. Radio 1 always course, yeah. Radio One. Yeah. Not Radio Luxembourg <clears throat> <1. clears throat> <clears throat> or Caroline. No. Any of the radio pirates you? I, w- I wasn't even really aware of Luxembourg. Mm. You know, you're living in London. You, you're yeah. It's Radio One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's all the time. Mm. Um, and you listen to the charts because you love music. And you'd be influenced by various different songs. T Rex Getting On uh, was was always the song for me because of the attitude, because of the way he looked, and you watch Top of the Pops also. Yeah, uh, You come through those moments of British, I suppose, pop rock band, Shawadi Waddy, sweet. Like city rollers, we're talking. So that. You, you were a glam rock kid then. Yeah, you, you know, I, I and and one of one of your your heroes, Gary Newman, with cars and, yeah. and the, the, This whole moment of. Of your pocket money going to the post office,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> buying a seven-inch <laughs> single Man, in a yeah. post office. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I bought albums in the freezer center <laughs> in, like, yeah. in what so, became so Iceland. You, you know, yeah. yeah you you'd, <laughs> and
3: and and that moment of playing them over and over again, and then and that yeah. kind of led me to wanting to be in a band. So mm. the, the strange thing was, and I've explained this before, three local friends. And let's do a band, and then my mum was like, right, what are you going to do when you're 16 and you're school? Well, we're in a band. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And that was a really important moment in my life because my mother said, no, you're not. She said, you're going to get a proper job. And that was amazing advice because at 16, you think you know it all. Mm. You think, right, this is what I'm going to do, this yeah. is who I am. Um, she put her foot down and she said, no, you're going to get a career, you're going to study, mm. you're going to understand all the things that uh, you need to at that age. Timekeeping, respect, honor—you know mm-hmm. the, these kind of things that your father instills in you, but you now put in practice. If you're in a band at 16, you just end up doing what you you do, and late nights, and fall into maybe the wrong things. So, I my grandmother was a chef. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do? You know, what do you do? I'm, I wasn't very good at school. I was mm. found out after I was dyslexic. Mm. So I thought, I'm going to become a chef. So yeah. I worked incredibly hard for four years uh, to become a fully qualified French cuisine chef. And what I mean by that, I would do split shifts, which you start at 10 in the morning you finish at three. You get three till five off. Then you go back at five and you work till eleven. Then you go home. You do the same yeah. for five days and then one. Then I would go to college uh, at Westminster Tech in Victoria, doing a day release. And this was for four years to pass my exams. It was a really tough time, but it shaped who I am and, and the yeah. work ethic yeah, yeah it must have given you a
0: hard work ethic because there's no, nobody works hard, hard well hardly anyone works harder than a chef I mean that's I exactly know so right. many chef and you mates. don't
3: realise that that they I mean hats off I mean they work so hard it's really long
0: hours yeah yeah you have no you know like <coughs> no anyone life. who's married to a chef is a widow before, you mm-hmm. know, like you're just a chef widow, aren't you? Yeah. Like, you know, and there'll be some listening to this nodding their head going, mm. yes, I, yeah. Mm. Uh, man, they they work so hard. So, wow. So you were you were going to be a chef. So I was fully qualified. I was working
3: for a company called J-Lions that had various different restaurants through uh, London. They also did outdoor catering. So they catered for the Wimbledon tennis event, the Grand Prix Um, so it was, it was enjoyable, but long hours. But then I reached that moment where I'd passed, became a fully qualified chef and had that moment with my mum. And I said, listen, I've done it now. If I don't go and try music, I will regret this for the rest of my life. And I spoke to her about it and, and she said, look, you, you, you can always fall back now. You're fully qualified. You can go and get a job in any kitchen in, in Britain. In the world, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go into music, my first and love, true passion, uh,
0: and figure it all out. And and was there a tune back then that uh, you can pinpoint as being inspirational to you in, in the, a tune that sort of said, oh, you know what, I could do this, I want to do this, I'm inspired well, to that, do this.
3: That, that tune was T Rex, Get It On. They just had a lot of attitude, and that that was. That moment, uh, before I really got into, uh, so I suppose jazz funk was the first, once I started to ease into... Well, it wasn't electronic music. It was live. It was live instruments, mm, and yeah, that's I where I, I come from—the live background.
1: So, so should, <clears throat> let's let's try listen to T Rex, get it on, and then yeah. and then start to delve into the uh, the discovery of yeah, of absolutely,
0: twenty's Oakenfold. Yeah, 20s Oak yeah let's all do right,
2: Let's do that. Trailblazers, Paul Oakenfold.
0: T-Rex, get it on. I always think if only he'd been driving a modern Mini rather than a, an old Mini, he would be alive. Oh. Uh, what, a, what a gutter. An absolute hero to so many people. Um, we're with Paul Oakenfold and we're soundtracking his life. So you were a rocker. You were well, a rocker. I, when, I, did you, when did you start I, to... I still am a rocker. Yeah, I'm yeah. Mean,
3: I, I, I love rock music. grew up, as I explained, with my father being involved in it. It was the first form of music with the Beatles and Elvis that I heard. Um, so that's where my fundamentally my roots are. I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest. I'm I like a lot of kinds of music. I, I'm not. I, my path led me to electronic music. Electronic music showed me the
0: world. But my heart and soul is in music is not a genre. Yeah, 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 of course. And that reflects young people today. You know, people used to be rockers and ravers and never the twain shall meet. And and it's wonderful that that the the gateways are all open now.
3: Yeah, and and Eddie, if I can just say something on that, because I don't live in this country and haven't for many years, this is what's wonderful about Britain, is we grow up listening to all kinds of music. And people Mm. like yourself, Mm. we've, we've... Virgin Radio, Radio Two, blah blah blah. There's so many stations here, and the the cross section of music you hear, you don't hear in America. Mm. That's my point. Mm. You tune into Power 106, it's only hip hop. Yeah, oh yeah, you K know, Rock, only rock. Pop, yeah. Pop top where pop music is at the moment I personally I think is dreadful. It's mm. it's it's a it's a generic sound that they all do and that lives oh, on it's the 808 thing, yeah. But you there's no station that you can go to like there are here mm. where yeah. you can hear and I think that influences all as we're all growing up. Yeah. And that gives us, you know, I mean look we're a tiny island with some of the greatest ever bands, individual singers. I mean, arguably Ed Sheeran and Adele were the two biggest acts in the world, yeah. mm-hmm. and they're from the shores of the United Kingdom. Yeah, sure. and this and tiny little keep, island. Yeah, and they keep coming. And I think radio
0: plays a big influence on that. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> uh, do, oh, preach, 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 mate. Uh, so, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. so you've talked about you. You, you are a rocker. You, you're you're kind of long head on the inside, you know. Um, but when did you start? engaging with um i'm gonna say dance music but of course dance music in the way that we know it now didn't exist then you know disco existed but you didn't really you weren't really you weren't a disco head and you weren't a a soul boy really were you so what what, what, what were you what what was your entry point into the world of the discotheque if you like i kind of was what happened
3: was now i'm like you know i'm working for a a record i'm working for rush release
1: which is an independent promotion company Mm. So, you've done the chef training. So I did the thing. chef thing. You've left school, you've done the chef thing. I go to New and- York. Ah well, uh-huh. well, well in that case then I uh, go on a
3: holiday and I don't return for two right, years. And I don't right, Don't know if I can
1: say in that. W- <laughs> <we're> anyway, <anywhere.
3: laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to kick it. I think this lady's
3: clean now. Oh, yeah. so, I'm an Englishman.
1: I'm an English alien in New York. Did you start? Were you were you investigating dance music culture in the UK before your American trip? Yes. You were. So so when so what sort of clubs did you so, go to? Uh, you know when you yeah, were all the a, DJs a, a that you were teen, seeing? Yeah, a teenager.
3: Yeah. Good question so what happens is i i want to get back into music so yeah. i'm like okay and and then i moved to south london and i started to look at chris hill yeah. robbie vincent right colin hudd yep uh george powell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this was that period got it um so i started to go these were trips that you know these all these weren't just clubs you go to yeah. And what I mean by trips, you you go to an all dayer. Yep. Yeah. Right down in Yarmouth for, on mm-hmm. a coach, and you mm-hmm. Steve Walsh, mm-hmm. the famous Steve Walsh who who passed away in Ibiza. Um, uh, Paul Trouble Anderson at a hundred yeah. club. Trouble Anderson. Yeah. 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 No, no. 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 I. I. I was. I was on the dance floor, you know, all out of time, <laughs> shuffling around with the feet, you know,
1: trying to trying to get the soul boy moves down, and when and you... the mallet was coming, right. the mallet was starting was to grow, it was coming. So, so when you were going to these all dayers and checking all these DJs out, had you DJed at that no. point? Right, you were just a dancer and you were a music fan.
3: I, yes, oh. and I, I was like, oh my god, this is great so i was going to groove records i was going to bluebird records yep. i was go- and I, and you'd stand there and then you'd you know you, you put your hand in the air when you was buying records and i still was working i still had to be working as doing the chef, as thing, as doing yeah. the chef to buy the records yes. because i was like well, what, what, i've got to get a job in a record company i wrote every record company and everyone said no yeah as they as they do to be expected right? yeah right? and then all right, so I, I had to keep working, knowing that I was going to make the move sooner or later. Hence, that's where all the music come in. Chris Seal was the man. Yeah. Uh, he was playing all those tunes. Fadden and Whitehead, Ain't No stopping yeah, us Now. Yeah, that was yeah, the yeah. theme of that moment. Uh-huh. Um, and then this particular DJ went to New York... And he came back, and he was the first British DJ to ever mix. And it was Froggy. Yes. It was the... And I was like, oh, my God. This guy is merging two records together and telling a story. So that was like... Mind-blowing, right? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I... I, 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 And none of the other DJs could do it. And I'm like, I've got to go to New York. I've got to go. You know, it, it was like the light bulb going off. It was that moment that I thought... I've got to go that direction.
1: Let, let's hear a tune from the Froggy era, and and, uh, and then as soon as we've checked that out, then let's hear about New York. So can you pick well, us some, yeah, a, a record I, I think
3: that I think the definitive tune has to be McFadden and White, It Ain't No Stopping Us Now, because that was the big moment where there was a community led by Chris Hill... The likes of the names I mm. I mentioned mm, earlier. Mm, mm. And it just summed up that period of time. Wicked. Let's hear it.
2: Trailblazers. Yeah, cool.
1: So McFadden and Whitehead ain't no stopping us now, evoking some memories there for you of All Dayers and Chris Hill and, um, and Froggy, who who deserves more credit, really, and more yep. profile than he gets. I'm pleased that he's, he's cropped up in this conversation because I, myself and my best mate, saw Froggy in the mix. Um, amazingly, he uh, used to kind of support some of the daytime Radio 1 DJs um, and so there was like um, Radio 1 play, did a thing down in Bristol uh, and we heard Froggy in the mix and and uh, and it was great but then it became a more very traditional Radio 1 kind of night out type thing so managed to see him once and uh, yeah he's uh, certainly a legend in and, and played a very important role in, in bringing mixing culture into the UK so great that you mentioned him but this sounds exciting now so now you're, you're about you're, you're what 18 years old maybe 19 I guess and you're, you're headed <laughs> Off I can't remember. To, and you're heading <laughs> off. Well, you're a, you're, a tea, you're still in your teens and you decide you're going to head off to New York, right? So this sounds like quite an adventure. So my my dear friend um, Ian, mm. he has family there, mm.
3: <clears throat> so we go we go on a two week holiday that turns into a little bit longer. Yep. Um, and was sleeping on the floor, at his cousin's house yep. on 181st Street on the West Side. Okay. Taking a number one train. Yeah. And emerged um, myself into uh, the, the 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 kind of growth of hip-hop. Grandmaster Flash, 3S5, Curtis Blow, all that music was being played on the radio. Yeah, Paradise Garage, Larry LeVan, yeah. Funhouse, Jellybean, John Jellybean, Benitez. These were the big influences on me. So, uh,
1: and were you, were you I managing... you was courier. Were you getting into the... Were you go, <coughs> did you go to Paradise Garage yeah. and... And so that, yeah. so,
3: I would listen to WBLS. Yeah, Frankie Crocker. Um, I was making ends meet. I was a courier. I was delivering packages.
1: Wh- which year was this?
3: this know? The, yeah, this this has got to be um, early eighties. Early eighties. It's got to right. be okay. Um, so so you because then I came back and was working with Champion. Yeah. then we went on to do Beethoven and yeah. Spectrum. And so this is early eighties. Um, so so <laughs> coming out of the chef looking for a place in life, being influenced by what Froggy and them guys were yeah. doing and now trying to establish a path. Because yes. when I came back from New York, I started with Rush Release.
1: So so let's, let's talk about New York. So did you, yeah, what were your um, impressions as a young, as a teenage kid from South London walking into the Paradise Garage for the so, first time, for example?
3: T- I was doing two paths, really, in New York. Hip-hop yep. with... Red Alert, Chuck Chillett and Red Alert, who yep. I later met in New York and, and befriended. Yeah. Um, and that's how I went on that hip-hop path, uh, which we'll touch on in a minute. Yeah. Um, and then being fascinated by nightclubs and going and and, um, and meeting and hanging out um, with Larry LeVan um, um, and John Jellybean Benitez. And the way you got into these people was the British flag. You know, you, you're from England, uh, we had false ID made, uh, so I was NME, because um, you need identification to get in the place. So I wrote for Enemy, which obviously I didn't. It was a blag. Ian <laughs> wrote for Melody Maker,
1: and that's how we would get into all the clubs free because we had no money. And, right. and I've got to say, <clears> there's an amazing coincidence between you and I here, which I, I didn't realise until this moment because in the summer of 1987, I went to work in... Uh, New York got myself a job as a cinema usher so that's almost my equivalent of you doing the couriering thing um and and I thought how can I get involved in in the music industry and I, and I came up with this idea I know what I'll do I'll call up the head of WBLS and say can I interview you I'm writing a, an article go. for a for a magazine yeah. but it was just like you, yeah, there you go. Uh, we were that's... both using the same
0: yeah blag the same blacks in the same, in the same <laughs> city yeah. And it was really no, at the was same amazing. Time. Well, well, just a few years, me, yeah, few years yeah, a little later. bit later. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I just made that up. I presume you made it up yourself. Yeah. I, I didn't, say you got in everywhere I free. Let's you... say you got to meet everyone.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and at this point, you still hadn't DJed, right? Or had no. you? You so you you, you so I, I thought oh, I, I fancy doing this. No, I'd bought with my
3: savings. I'd bought a console, but there's no very speed. This yeah. is one of those it's like
1: a Citronic thing. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. And and I would. But, so that when we go back to Groove Records and Chris, oh, I was buying those records. I'd be in my bedroom playing them. My mum would literally have the broom banging the yes, ceiling. Yes. Going, Turn the music down, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And that moment, but no, I wasn't a DJ. I, when I came back, was when I started. Mm. And Trevor Fung, credit where credit's due. Trevor got me into. That, but I'm in New York still yeah. at the moment, and I'm being
1: inspired because I can get in everywhere. Man. Yeah, amazing. And and so, so tell us <coughs> about the hip hop side then as well. Were you you were you going to hip hop clubs? So in New York I I, as I your... was
3: there was something in the, in the coming out of the late seventies, which I wasn't in New York, mm. but going into the early eighties. It was New York was just alive with hip hop break dancers. Yeah, you know Rock Steady Crew, uh, yeah. Whiskey, Chuck Chill Out, uh, Red Alert. This was Grandmaster Flash. The whole hurt, look of yeah. yeah, fashion. Amazing. It was New York was alive, and it wow. just so yeah. inspired me. That trip. That's why I stayed.
1: Yes, I'm what, like, what, what am I going home for?
3: I've got to find who I am as a person. And I've got to just roll with it, yes. and so that's why I was sleeping on the floor. Yep. That's why I was a, co- a courier because yep. you could be illegal and make money yep. as a courier, yep. and so I'd get paid cash. I blagged my way in the record companies, Profile Records, Cory Robbins, yeah. um, and you you touched on it, South Soul Orchestra, these kind of labels. Mm. Um, the, mm. it, it was it was it led me into the hip hop world. So when I came home, I had these contacts. And then I started to manage Mastermind, which yes. was a pool of DJs, four DJs all playing back-to-back back, from Holston. Yeah, a sound uh, system, really. A sound system. Mm. Uh, then it was the London All-Star Breakers, which was like the rock steady. So I was mm. managing both these, and I yeah. had no experience or, or, of management, but I had all the contacts. And then I was playing on with Lyndon T and Gordon Mack... I was on the pirate radio station for Kiss and I was playing, I had all the promos because I went to all the record companies and I was saying, look, I'm a DJ, blah, 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 blagging it. It's the Uh old blag. Uh So I've got all these records, I've collecting them and then when I come home I have all these contacts and that's how I started to, that's how I got into the hip-hop world. Yeah. And then I was, we were on Blue Peter London All-Star Breakers entered the Swatch Watch World Break Dance Competition. They finished third. We came back to London. We were on the Blue Peter show, and they were showing. It was a fad break dance. Yeah, 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 i got these. The did
1: you get these guys on? <laughs> well done. Blue Peter yeah, That's That's one thing that night would mean already, Hammer. Yeah. Well, We have some things in common we don't have. Blue Peter. So did you get them on, Blue Peter? Yeah. Amazing! So, what? So, what a, well, no, what result? No, to
3: be honest, you. To be honest, no, I didn't. Ah. They rung us up. There was a movie called Flashdance. There yes. was a moment in the movie where the Rocksteady crew were there, and break dancing went global. Yeah. Yes, we. They reached out to us. Meaning to me, the London All Star Breakers, they flew us to New York, we are third in the competition, weren't representing
1: Britain. When we come back, Blue Peter reached out. Amazing. And that's how it happened. So you've got an, an amazing head start in terms of sort of rap culture compared to lots of people your yeah. age and what have you, because you've got you've now developed this network of contacts and everything. And now how did you use there's two things that we need to find out? One is how you turned this into your first music industry job. And still, we've got to find out when was the first time that you actually stood behind a pair of decks in a club. Decks ain't coming (laughs) Decks ain't coming yet. He's still flagging. Oh, man, did So, so
3: first industry job comes first then, doesn't he? So, yeah, so the decks ain't. So, I come back um, from New York and I, I work. I'm looking for that job and rush release, an independent promotion. Give me that job. They yeah. give me the paycheck. Yeah. The managing of these other things and DJing mm. on Kiss FM, mm. there's no money in that. Right. There really ain't no money in it, right? right? So Rush Release, I'm promoting records... Uh, as you know how Rush yeah, works. Yeah. So a record company, just for your listeners, the record company will hire an independent promotion company called Rush Release, give them 250 copies of a New Culture Club record or yeah. the new whatever record. And my job is to take the record, first of all, mail it to the DJs, but also follow up, go to the clubs. And that's how I merged myself in a, into British club culture at that time. Yeah. Which was a cross-section of gay, white, straight, black clubs, Yeah, you know, um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, And then I was getting sent all these records from America, so I was going and taking them to Tim Westwood. At the time he was doing hip-hop, I was playing hip-hop, and it kind of just started to flourish and build to the point where I was running profile records in the UK. I was head of A&R for Profile. And I was hired by Sony to run, or Columbia at the time, to run Def Jam. Mm. So I had these two. They were paying me as a as a as a consultant. Let's mm. put it that way, because mm. I still had a proper job. And, re, and respect to Rush Release, they allowed me to do it because they they realised that I was bringing in money to the company, not only working for them, but bringing in contacts. Sure. No, um, great. So you were running Def Jam in the UK at that time. I was a consultant for Def Jam. I was running Profile right. Records. Profile was Run-D.M.C. Def Jam at the time was Beastie Boys, LL Cool J. Public Enemy had just yeah. come. Rick, um, Rick Rubin, and Russell Simmons had done a deal with Columbia Worldwide to distribute their label. So when Rob Stringer. Mm. And yes, look Rob. how well Rob Stringer's done yeah. uh, um, so when the Columbia UK they didn't understand this music so then Russell Simmons and Rick said you should hire this guy because he's already doing this for Corey Robbins and Run DMC's brother R- Run is, yeah. is Russell's brother Right? so there was a connection you know I had that experience and knowledge and knew what was going on with hip hop so I would take these records and these acts Around the UK to kind of dance hip hop clubs. Mm. I remember there was a lot of clubs at that time that weren't playing just one
1: sound. Oh, that was one of the great things about Ian Jewhurst's club. Yeah, remember Ian. Uh, He's still around. um, He he did the Lyceum Club,
3: and we took Run DMC. Mm. I took Run DMC to the Lyceum. Mm. LL Cool J to the Embassy Club, Beastie Boys, Public Enemy on a tour. Yeah, I mean, I was
1: really merged in that scene at that time. Was the the LL Cool J at the Embassy... that was was that was the official launch party exactly. right and was you there? i blagged my way in <laughs> <laughs> yeah i blagged my i was still we, were uni- right. we didn't even meet then no we didn't we didn't know each other i was at university then and yes i i completely blagged my way in and yeah. uh, i remember getting uh, the death jam hoodie the black hoodie black in like the goodie the goody bag just on that note and coincidentally
3: where nick met me today it was at the uh, the sanctum Sower hotel well, the, the the guy who put that show on, Mark Fuller, he was the manager of the embassy, and we spoke about this 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 the actual moment right. only yesterday. Right. We were talking about this this party because it was something really different. The embassy was a, is a high end club. Yes, or was. yes. It wasn't a club where you'd have a hip hop no event. No, it was. Yeah, unusual. I did. I unusual. did a goth night there. Did uh, you, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, that's also the, very the unusual. The yes. Only goth night at the embassy <laughs> club. You yeah, ruined it.
1: Oh yeah. mate. So 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 uh, yeah. So that was that's interesting because we find in a few parallels between you and me, sure. which we didn't necessarily know about, which is quite interesting. So you, you've got all of that sort of. stuff. Where does Champion Records fit into the So that picture? comes after
3: Rush release? So then what right. happens is uh, Mel Medali, who's one of the uh, the unsung heroes of, of electronic music, I mean mm. Robin S. Show Me Love. Yeah. I mean Champ we were we were a small independent label in Holston that competed uh with the 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 major record companies who would have these offsprings of dance labels. FFRR yeah. was arguably our biggest competition mm. and we were, we couldn't compete in every way
1: possible. But you were running that out of just a, a house in Holston. So we were Lyra, in a house
3: we? in Holston. I was there, this time living in carr a first flat I'd got on my own. Yep, You'd have to get a train, a bus and a tube to get home. So my so-called office was in a bedroom upstairs in a two-up house. Mm. So I would be on the floor packing the records, sending them out, doing what you do. And I had a pull-out sofa. So I used to literally sleep in the office because it just made more sense rather than trying to get home. So probably three days in a week, I'd sleep... On a pull-out sofa in the office, and used to love it. Absolutely, we've all, we've all been there. <laughs> we've all been there, right? You, this, but this is what I go back to with a work ethic. Yeah, yeah. You, really? you can't expect nothing for free. If you want
1: to become the best at anything you do, you have to put the work in. So it sounds like you were throwing as much energy into into this as you did into your training to be a chef, and then you. So then you started signing some hits records, yep. didn't
3: you? We were signing uh, a few things. I mean, so the first thing I major first record I signed was Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble. Yeah, right. And then I listened to it and thought, because uh, of my music background, I thought, the hook's not right. The- so we went into the studio, we got the parts, we went in the studio and I remixed it. Mm. And I put that sample... If you listen to the original and you listen to our version, meaning Champion Records version. Yeah. They're two different versions. Okay. There's an
0: extra hook in there.
3: So I put the. That's kind of the only hook that <laughs> I. Th-
1: that's remember. the only that's the hook that everybody and remembers. There so I, you go. You start, you so a, I
3: rearranged okay. the structure of the record to make sure that they had a make, decent. Because hook. raps free flow. That period was not structured yes. in, in a traditional music
1: way. So that that helped it to become the the hit record that so it was. So it
3: Became a massive.
1: Top five Great. pop hit. That was a big moment for you, though. And presumably. that was my first remix that I'd done. Yeah, and then and it was all downhill from then on. And you'd signed it, you'd remixed it, in your top five. So that's
3: yeah. that's amazing. And then Will comes over. Then they come over. Yeah, I'm running them around clubs. Um, right, Will Smith. And Will Smith mm. and, Je- and Jeff. Yeah. Um, yeah and then we then we start to go for it then then me and Mel go down and meet them. we're meeting up with uh all different labels and we 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 start to indulge into the uh Chicago house tracks so which, and DJ which, International which sort of
1: records were you were you signing then
3: So then we were signing Jack the Groove Ray, Yeah, yeah. we were signing uh, a a bunch of the DJ Break International. for Love maybe for that love. era yeah uh signed signed Break for Love and uh, and then because I knew the hip hop stuff, I was I was working with Salt and Pepper, yes. uh, which wasn't on uh, Champion, but was on. But I helped inst- instigate that for mm. FFRR and yep. Pete uh, with Push It, because yep. I knew all the and and the funny thing was uh, again it was the same with Mel. Mel realised even though I was being paid by him, FFRR would hire me because I knew all the guys in the Chicago... Hot Mix Five. Yep. So Farley Jack Miles, the Funk, Daryl Pandy, so yeah. when FFR are releasing that stuff, because they could pay more money than Champion could, so I yep. would find it, yep. they would beat us to it, but then, Champ, then FFRR would hire me independently to run all these guys around the clubs, yes. and Mel would go with it, he would yeah. be like, alright, yeah, okay. it's okay, because he realised that I had the connections and could bring the records in, but we were always trying to sign them first, but then the... Then they they meaning the the other rail companies realised that they could go
0: to majors yeah and get more money and when you say FFRR you mean Pete Tong at this time don't you yeah because and um, so it, it was, was Pete. If Pete was Pete's first of all was a dear friend
3: but was major competition of because course I had to beat him always I had to beat him still to this day I have <laughs> to beat majors <laughs> to the punch yeah. because we don't have we don't have the the money so right. was it Pete that called you then? yeah. So, Pete would call me and say, and this happened a few times with the Balearic beat when we came back. He released, he was the first one to release me as an artist on his label. Right. FFRR would would hire me to go and promote, whether it was Salt and Pepper, whether it was Farley Jack, Master Funk, Steve Silk, Hurley. Oh, those great records. You know, all these great records from these. I was was promoting them in the clubs, I was taking them out. And you still hadn't DJed at this point. I wouldn't say I was a DJ. I was starting to play. I hadn't played outside of my bedroom. Yeah. Right. That that changed in with Trevor Fung. That was kind of... I was so immersed in doing all that. Yeah. And then that kind of fell away. I started to think, well, I should be doing this for myself because I ain't making much money out of it and I'm giving everyone else hits. Yeah. Why shouldn't I do this for myself? I can remix... I understand the studio, I can play instruments, but I'm not getting paid. You know, yeah, I'm giving the hits to the record company and I'm doing promotion, but they're all getting paid, and I just get a nominal fee to run people around. So I started to look at, well, what do, well, now, where do I want to go? And that was when the whole DJ and Trevor Fung was a DJ at a bar called Rumors in Covent Garden. One night, he was sick, and he said. And remember, I was just the cl- bedroom DJ collector. Yeah, no. And, and he said, no pitch control, no, no pitch control. <laughs> so he said, why don't you step in? And I, I loved it. That was the moment where I was like, okay, I can, I can be, a, no I can kid. do this. And you took your records. So I carried my record box up on the train, and rumours ended at eleven. And I remember, I had to rush to Victoria because I had to get the not- the last train home. Mm. You know, and and these things stick in your mind. Yeah. So that and, was okay. And you
0: started was... and so you started pitching those records. You started pitching records on that night and of course I guess your musician's head <laughs> yeah. told you it's oh, you know this is drums. Key, this is like you know there's a key clash here I can't mix this together exactly. you know and all that. So so yeah. I guess you probably took to it like a duck to water. Yeah. And it was live drums and you're
3: figuring it out yeah. and that was really the birth of DJing. but amazing. But it wasn't really until I came back from from Ibiza that I really you know, I I had no plans to be a DJ. My plans, maybe Nick, similar to yours, was the record company, mm. the A and R. I always wanted to sign the next U two, mm. right? And that's something I've never achieved. But that was my goal, or that was the dream, was to do that. Mm. The DJing just kept overtaking and overtaking, and overtaking, and then I one day thought, well, maybe my destiny is to. Be the DJ, and once I let it go and went, all right, I'm just going to go with this. Everything opened up from remixing to touring with them, playing with you know opening for any crows, playing the stadiums, and I just went with it because I would always say no, 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 I've got to sign this.
1: Pain. Yeah, yeah, and I, know, I could that. never find him,
3: yeah. you know. And I was never in that. It was, and I had this conversation with Alan McGee when he found. I was like, "How did you find Oasis?" He goes, "It just happened. He was just in that place. He he went up to see the yeah. main act, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and
1: and we we talked about this with Daniel Miller here on 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 this show, and he it was the same thing with him with signing Depeche Mode, very yeah. similar to Alan McGee. Daniel Miller, he hadn't gone to see Depeche Mode. He stumbled across him. Yeah, 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 and yeah. And, well, well. and I and I kind of
3: realised that that how can you force in? You can't force something. I, I'd love to find them, but you can't force it. You, I was in you're just you're in the wrong places. It just doesn't happen. And then you realise, well, you know, what, what is what is my destiny? Where am I going to go? And I I learnt all this early on. Yeah. Some people never. And by the way, I'm very lucky because some people. Never find their destiny. Yeah. Some people go through life never knowing their true value in what they want to yeah. do in their life. And yeah. and if you can do something that you just love doing, the money comes. And it did. It did. Yeah, for me it did. I just I was doing it and earning nothing, sleeping mm. on the floor, mm. working. Out and many, 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 many hours. You just because you love it. Yeah, and then it starts to find its feet. It blossoms. You find your direction. And then
1: life changes. Yeah, yeah. And, and what you're saying there as well, sometimes life just presents opportunities and you sometimes just need to go for it and embrace it. And like you were saying, it wasn't the plan particularly for you to become... I mean, you know, you you turn into the number one DJ in the world. wasn't your goal, but you just things start to present yeah. themselves and, and you and you embrace them, which is uh, yeah. which is amazing.
0: Or, or or turn them down like you did with Aphex Twin. Nick. Yeah, in my case, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well Turn them um, down. Turn, turn, turn. So you, <laughs> can't, you can't you can't we've had this before. You can't like you know, the, the, the gods of A and R wouldn't let the same person sign the two greatest producers of electronic music with the greatest respect in the UK. Aphex, twin, and prodigy. You just can't have them can't signed have by both. the same person. <laughs> yeah, okay, exactly. What are the two? Both. Uh,
1: one's <laughs> one's alright. Good. Well uh, how about a little bit of music of some descri- description now? I yeah, what, what is should...
0: what is the tune that what is, what is the tune that soundtracks this kind of moment? So here's my mix of Jazzy
3: Jeff and the Fresh Prince Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble Let's do that
2: Trailblazers Paul Oakenfold Nevertheless don't mean to bust your bubble But girls of the world ain't nothing but trouble Trouble. So next time a girl gives you the play Just remember my rhymes and get the hell away In a bar one Friday night, chilling
3: out, watching the Sugar Ray fight. Want to
1: hear more of the music? Don't forget you can listen to the tracks in full by heading over to Deezer.com, where you'll also find special
0: Trailblazers playlists.
2: Deezer originals.
0: Trailblazers. So Jazzy Jeff plus the hook that we all remember that we now know was put there by Paul <laughs> Oakenfold. Um, this is what I love about Trailblazers. It's those little, it's those little stories that now we'll never hear that record the same way again. So um, your life, Paul, was never really the same way again after you went to Ibiza. I mean, it's a legendary story that you must have told a gajillion times. But yeah. this is your this is your life story right here. This is a, this is the most important time that you've ever told it, Paul. <laughs> so let's <laughs> let's In hear he it. Anyway. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it again because <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, we, let's hear it from the horse's mouth. So so, like, why to, did you go to Ibiza? To why well, I, I
3: actually went there before 1988. When I was working with Rush Release, Rush Release signed an act called Divine, and I Divine was pl- performing at the Ku Club, so I went with Divine in in the in the capacity of looking after the artist, as you know, Nick, how, yeah. how, how it works. So, sure. so, but I I hadn't experienced Ibiza the way we all know it until this was '87. So, 1987. Trevor Fung and Ian St. Paul, which two of my best friends, were working on the island. One of them, Trevor's was planning a bar. Ian's doing what he's doing. And my birthday comes up, and I want to, like everyone, you want to spend it with your friends. I'm heading to Ibiza. Johnny Walker was working at... Um, Polygram, Polydor Records. Yeah. And we were friends. Nicky Holloway was running Special Branch, which was London and Milk Bar, London's biggest clubs. Danny, I didn't know. Danny Ramplin wasn't a DJ. I didn't know him. He was Nicky's uh, best friend. So right. I'm like, listen, I'm going to be beefing for, for my holiday, uh, for my birthday. And then those guys came. So now we're there. And we uh, we bump in, or we come and see Ian and Trevor, and they tell us about, you know, what the experience is of kind of what's going on.
0: Um, <laughs> right. Can we talk, can we, right. can we talk we, about drugs? Yeah, no, we're, see, we're not on the radio, so Paul, right, we, can, yeah. we so, don't have to pull uh, any punches. Right, we talk okay. about whatever you like. So,
3: so uh, what had happened was there was a big influx of drugs, ecstasy. And that was the change from 86 when I went there to 87. When I went there with Divine, maybe it was there, but I didn't know it. But in 87, I knew it. And I'd never done drugs. And I was really concerned, you know, to suddenly go there and see my friends like crazy. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, and it was one of those moments where you're like, I can't, you know, no, no, no. For all four of us, actually, because it was a real eye-opener. And then, of course... It changed and you know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> say them yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, no, no, say it, say it.
3: He's
0: going dewy-eyed with yeah, the memory. Yeah. Yeah, it,
3: it changed and you you saw some kind of light, um, let me put it that way, and and yeah, then you you hear music in a different way. We went and heard this DJ playing in Amnesia called Alfredo. It just changed, really opened my mind in a different way to music, and the holiday was a wonderful holiday. It was a real moment in in my life, and and like many people, you come back from holiday and you don't want it to end, and and it never ended. I'm still on holiday.
2: (laughs) Oh it was. It was. We later. came.
3: So I came back end of August. Ian comes back end of September. Me and Ian. I'm already DJing at a club in South London called Ziggy's, playing hip hop and and house music. And then we put on the first uh, Balearic party, and then it just exploded. So in the end of September, all the workers who are, who understood this scene in Ibiza, all came back. They had yeah. nowhere to go. Ian knew all the workers, and I had the music. So we came together, and we put on the party. Right. So then we started Future Spectrum. Nicky started his trip, he called it Trip. Yeah. Danny started Shum. Yeah. And that was the birth of club culture as, as we know it today. And, yeah. And what I mean by that, uh, especially for your listener, of course there was nightclubs and electronic music, but... We would be at the bar all having a drink, the girls are dancing around their handbag and the DJ's over there and no one's taking very little notice. Well, the birth of club culture as we know it today is when we all turn and look at the DJ and we're all listening to the music and we become one. Mm. And that's what happened in 88. It was the birth of club culture as we know it today. Everyone's still doing the same thing. The only difference is they've got a phone in their hands. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so at these yeah. big festivals I play, everyone's looking at a DJ. Everyone's into the music, but everyone's taking photos. Yes, and not dancing, mm. just jumping up and down. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that was a, that was an incredible moment, and and it kind of brings me back to. Realistically, in some respects, why I'm in Britain at the moment is because of these anniversary moments and this filming and blah, blah, blah on the
0: 30 year anniversary. Of yeah. course, yeah, 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 yeah. Of your, of your, I mean, of that's the, the summer of love. Yeah, and it was, it was, it was a profound moment. This is a psychedelic experience, you yeah. have an you know, out of mind experience. But in, in, but that's a very profound thing. I mean, this is what shaman in the in the Amazonian jungle do. This is, the, you know, for for some people, this is a, re- a religious thing. Yeah, and you kind of, well, you know, beginning. accidentally it's started th- a religion. He was the beginning
3: of of this moment that really birthed. The culture as we know it today. Yeah, you know, I I did an uh, an interview for Sky Arts and we were talking about this. you, no one ever expected that you'd be talking thirty years later about a holiday that started a scene, but when you realise how important it was, and, and and not of course not just myself, there was many people who were in the trenches at that time, and they were like like yourself Nick, and you yes. you're all doing things, but suddenly you're over there, yeah. I'm over here, someone, you're over there. Yeah. And then suddenly this all leads us together and you go, well, actually, that's what I want to be part of. And that was the umbrella that kind of started started it because then I started to get asked to go and DJ internationally. I started to get asked to do remixes. That, that was the beginning of the real moment that
0: opened it up for me globally. Do you, so that must do you, have been when you started... Uh, Thinking about the uh, uh, the Perfecto thing was that was that Perfecto when...
3: came in
1: 1991, but it, so a, this, that was a few years later actually,
3: yeah, wasn't this it? This was 1988. 88 was the birth of club. Yeah. yeah. Ni- 18, 1989 was the birth of rave. Yeah. Um, and and then you know 1990 I started doing uh, being asked to play around the world, and uh, you know at that time it was, you weren't DJing around the world. And then, uh, then it was right. People were asking where can we release our music. So I thought, well, I'll start the label, and we signed some Gary Clow on you sound system, which suddenly was top ten. Pop. Oh, yeah, didn't Show it. Yeah, out, all that stuff. And then I started remixing in nineteen ninety three. I was that's when the remixing exploded because I did you too. Yeah, ended up being the opening act on their world tour. Right, so exactly. It was moving yeah, moving really fast for me.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, you a did. A lot you, of yeah. Respect. yeah, maybe we should maybe we should play even better than the real thing because that's uh, by you too, you know. Because that is uh, that's such a uh, a genre defining remix right there. Yeah. I mean, I want a
3: Massive Attack unfinished symphony. Of yeah, one of my two favourite.
0: Yeah, and who were you producing with? Someone was somebody engineering so, for you. So,
3: so uh, yes, uh, Rob Davis from the band Mud. Really, lovely guy. A, a lovely guy. Lovely chap. Uh, and great songwriter. Yeah. Uh, so my manager at the time, Brian Reza, who became my partner in Perfecto. So he did the business. I did the A and R. Uh, he uh, he introduced me to Rob. He, Rob really laid down the foundations uh, in terms of me in the studio. It was my first big moment where I could start to learn. And then of course Steve Osborne came into the mix, and Steve's. Great, I mean, in his own right, very lucky to to
0: to be with Steve. Yeah, how did and, your paths cross then? Because that was a very that's a very important that, kind that, of that, uh, that, that.
3: That was the moment again. That was down to Brian Reza, you know, my manager at the time. He was managing Steve in terms of Steve was an engineer. Uh, Rob started to get busy in terms of his songwriting because Rob was mainly a songwriter, and I wanted to learn more about engineering, and he was like, well. Let me put you where this goes. Who's, who's primarily an engineer, and Steve grew into a great producer. And me and Steve connected really well. So he knew nothing about the electronic world, and he and and he 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 was wanting to learn. And and this, as I say, this was moving really fast. So suddenly, at the future, I had the future club. I had all these kind of Indiacs, let's call them Indiacs who would come down. And you couldn't really play those songs. So so the Mondays, Happy Mondays, Stone Roses, uh, Flowered Up, The Farm, all these guys were coming down and hanging out at my club. So then they I would start to remix their songs. And Steve was with me. So we started to remix their songs and then it suddenly exploded and became pop records. So that's how I got thrust into producing uh, and remixing because we are having, you know, record companies, and like, as soon as you have a hit, everyone's all over you.
0: Mm. Yeah. So at what point, um, I might be jumping ahead too far now, so, so rein me back in if I am, but at what point did you get the call from, I'm guessing, either Tony Wilson or Mike Pickering to do the Happy Mondays?
3: Well, that was Tony Wilson, Mike Pickering. Mike Pickering's Hacienda.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. This was the, the this this was uh, but factory records. Yeah, yeah. But didn't he sign the Happy Mondays? Mike? No, Tony Wilson
3: signed Happy Mondays. I thought Mike did. Yeah,
0: as far as I, as far as I. Yeah, I,
1: I think.
0: Uh, yeah, you well, I mean? Yeah, no, Tony was the boss, but Tony because of course we've talked to Mike on Trailblazers. Okay, well, and, and Mike and, did. And, yeah, I wasn't and, aware. Tony of that. wasn't at the gig. You know, it was, he was trusting. He was so, trusting yeah. Mike. I think, I well, think yeah. yeah. Mike got Listen,
3: Mike Pickering's. He signed Calvin Harris. Yeah, Anchor yeah. Saviour. And, and Saviour. And, yeah. and, yeah. and, yeah. and he was in. And he was in. MP People. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Mike's yeah. got amazing is So if, listen, I wasn't aware of that because yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony likes to take a lot of credit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so. I'm
0: wondering because I, 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 was thinking in my head like, would it have been Mike who made that call? Because no, that was, it was a big it, call. It was Tony. Well, was no, it no was when Tony. I say made the call, yeah made the decision for, for, to give a production job to a DJ? Because so, that had never been done before, no. I don't think.
3: I think it also came from Sean. Because Sean, they were all doing, you know, they were coming down the club, everyone was peeled up, and it was going off. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so it is. I, I did Rope for Luck, right? I yeah. did Rope for Luck, and, it, and that sound, I, it Rope for Luck is NWA's drums. I rearranged the song. I put N.W.A.'s drums underneath it. Yep. There's a sample from the Batman movie that Prince did called Into the Future right at the end. Okay. I mean, we got away with murder. I mean, because we sampled everything without clearing it.
0: Where so, <laughs> was so, Dre getting it from? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah,
3: so so long story short, the remix is a, is a hit. And then Tony Wilson reaches out and said, look, we want you, Sean or whoever, whoever was. But the call come from Tony Wilson to Brian, the manager. We want him to produce a record. And that's where Steve came into his own because, you know, it's difficult to manage as a producer several guys in a room all doing drugs. And my strength is from the rhythms of music, right? Because yeah. we're DJs. Yeah. So I would sit with a drummer and go, no, 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 it's... It, it, Copy this loop. So, I yep. would, I, how, how we, how the production starts is, it starts with the drums, which it doesn't usually with a band. It starts yeah. with a song and a yeah, piano. Yeah, yeah, right. Gu- guitar, piano, and a song. Yeah. Now I understood all that, but the way the Mundys worked, and, 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 they were, and respectfully, they're not the greatest musicians, but brilliant in, in their approach, and they would allow us to do something different because they came off an album called Bummed. Which was a different kind of production. So I would sit with Gary the drummer and go, look, you need to do this, and you ne- it needs to be a lot tighter, you need to sit in the groove, and it needs to be a hip-hop rhythm that can work in a club. And he would do it. And then Gary, Mark, sorry, the, the, the guitarist, Mark, we, we don't want no wa- waffle, we want a riff. Ding, 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 ding. You know, yeah. give me just... The riff, keyboards, ding, ding, ding. It's all about riffs. Yeah. So we took the did the approach in a different way, and then Sean, you just let him loose. So you give him that, you give him a backing track which we'd put together. You'd let him be Sean Ryder. You, 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 I mean, lyrically, I'm not going to turn around and say anything. You get on with it. You're twisting my melon, man. Call a cop. Well did, that
0: well, did that presumably came from your record box? You know that that no. That, no? So whose decision no. was it? Because that was well, that's sure. one of the best covers ever. That most well, people Step don't, on. Know, don't know don't know was a cover.
3: Yeah. So no 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 no. Step on never came from me. Step on uh, came from uh, the record company or the band. Yeah. So they came to me and they said. That was like the the te- that we want you to produce this one track for us. I'm like, all right, I can I can do this. So it's a Donovan cover. I can do. it. We put the big keyboard line on it, the guitar, if everything. The record company heard it, and then said, we want you to go in to L.A. to produce the album. That's how it all started. So then we all go to L.A several weeks at Capitol Recording Studios where the Beatles and Franks and Archer and all them were, and it's us lot, and they're all peeled up, and we're all, and we're all in the studio, and it's a, a £100,000 budget. And back then, as, as Nick knows, it's a lot of money and a lot of pressure because the record company everyone's on me
2: yeah, and Where's I've got to hold it together yeah. Yeah. the manager
3: is off the manager's the same as somebody we talked about earlier <laughs> yeah. so, so, so you know it, it was it was a great moment but wow. really hard you know it, it could have went wrong but yeah. it was it just it was the <clears> right <throat> time right moment and it worked
2: Trailblazers
0: absolutely smashed it because like you said you, that could have gone so tits up yeah first album I'd ever produced and a, a band that
3: were were, were heavily on yeah know, yeah and, like cats on catnip and we had and, and we didn't have all the songs and I learnt from this so when the next album came, I said listen unless you've got the songs I'm not involved and I declined the the, the next the follow up to Peel's Frills and Belly Aches Which is all in the title. I I I I declined because the songs weren't there. Right. And if you ain't got the songs, and Nick knows this, if you ain't got the songs, don't why would you you don't want to go near the studio because you're just wasting time, money. You you've got to have the songs.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's key.
1: So so this opens up a new chapter for you because you, you really are a, a record producer now, aren't you? And so what what, what opportunities so start I, to I, come I, off the back of yeah, you uh, the the a Happy Mondays? As a producer now, yeah, so with, with I Steve.
3: start getting offered all bands. Every, you yeah, know, uh-huh. so everyone wants happy, what Happy Mondays done, you know, band, band, band. So so who are you turning down then? It's, it's, it's actually not who you turn down, it's, it's who you do. It's not about turning who you turn down. So, so I looked at it and thought, well, I ain't going to do no bands in that genre. So I looked at what was around the corner, what was coming. I looked at the opportunities. Remixing was exploding. Yeah. So I was re- six months out. you will like at five, four to six months, really, to produce a band from start, right? And a lot of time, five, six days in the studio there. Remixing take me a week, and I can DJ at the weekends. Mm. Is there? And I'm trying to balance it out. I'm thinking, well, you know, and, I'm, I'm, and now I'm finally making money, and mm. I'm finally getting off for of big, big shows. This is where me and Steve really started to split because Steve's strength is in the studio. So, what's the challenge? The challenge was to take a big pop artist who releases every album, they releases gold. Which was what was gold hundred two hundred thousand mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. time. So I, the last thing I do is Deacon Blue. Good God! Oh. So I produced. I mean, we, we did well, we went platinum, but it was and, and again, respectfully, I'm not to to, to bad mouth anyone. Anyway, it just didn't work. Mm. You know, we went in the studio, we did the same approach. They were more musicians. They had their own opinion. It's their album it's they're the artist. as the producer, you're producing them, you bring something to the table. But I was too far removed. It was the wrong decision by the A&R guy to hire me and me, and because I was like, if I do Deacon Blue, you know it's going to be here. Yeah, and yeah. they're like, because Mondays had gone 500,000, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's it's the typical record thing, the- you run after that. And it wasn't Deacon Blue. So we did a song, it was top ten, and then we did the album and halfway through the album they weren't happy with the direction and I wasn't going to do it I'm like well, why do you need me if you want to do a straight pop record
0: yeah was that still CBS for yeah, Dick and uh, Blue that time yeah, bit, yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah yeah you know it was mm. um, and, and the record we had success but that's when I kind of burned my bridges a bit and I was like why do I want to? Why do I need this? I don't need. I don't. I don't need this in my life. The the stress and the pressure of right. five, four or five different members telling you different things. Okay. you start here and
1: you end up there. So, so did, post that, did you start to become more focused then on Perfecto as a label? And, exactly. And you're DJing hand in hand. Exactly. So okay. that's
3: when I kind of look. I still produce and and still do and have. So, but I was like, you know what? I got a park that because it's, it, it, I've got to go on, again, I'm going down someone else's path yeah. rather than my path. Okay. I, 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 I've got to stay on my path, which was my label and DJing and, and mixing.
1: And the, the great thing, of course, about running the label was how that uh, interconnected with your, your DJ career, where, of course, you were able to identify big records, play them out, test them, sign them, or, or sign them and then break them. Exactly. So, so Deacon Blue was something different, wasn't it? That's, that's something where you're not... In in your, you're your not zone. In control. You're not in control, you're and not, not in, in your comfort zone. But,
3: you're but, a hired gun. Yeah, well, yeah, I was initially. Yeah, I was initially because the band were like, "All right, what do we do?" And I'm like, "This is how we do it." And the record was yeah. the
1: top ten pop. Yeah, but then when it came to the album, so tell us about what, um, the the vision there. What were with Perfecto as a label? What were you hoping to do? Were you just signing records that you liked, no, no, or no,
3: yeah, I've always signed records I like. I mean. Uh, we were a vehicle for that space. So we uh, yeah. we we and we, we weren't a trance label, so we'd get with our Gary Clow, we had Cole Cox, we'd have Fabio and Groove Rider. Yeah. I mean, Perfecto had gone on the sign David Guetta in America, Mark Ronson in America. We went, we Sasha, Digwe, Tiesto, Paul Vannert, we went through that genre. It was a vehicle to, in the early days, there wasn't, there was very few labels releasing
1: electronic music. Yeah. And yeah. RCA
3: funded us. I yes. I think
1: maybe like similar... L- yes, yeah, similar time to sim- Deconstruction, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, Deconstruction
3: at the time, it was, it, again, our good friend Calder Marshall. Yeah. So so Calder uh, was running RCA. So we signed to RCA. They paid for everything. Um, and we uh, let us get on with it. As as did Warner Brothers when I left RCA. Yeah. Um, and the problem with those kind of deals is you don't own nothing. Right. You're you're, you're building up a brand, a label. I own the brand, but I didn't own the content. Right. Uh, and with the label, I wanted to get away from the majors and do it independently, so I could build up a catalogue. I have a big catalogue of. So and that's that's the end game. But Perfecto uh i'm sure like positiva we've had we've it's a roller coaster ride we've had big hits sold millions of records and then you know where we are today we're a small independent label that that does well not great uh, to be honest here but
0: It's the industry. Yeah. I'm interested in this point, uh, at this point, in the 15 to 18 BPM that added, somehow absorbed into your set, because you were lolloping around at about 120, 124 when you, you know, when you were doing U2, but you're known for trance at like in the way high 130s. What was the story of that, of those 18 BPM, you know? the,
3: the, The trance came kind of, after I was doing the big remixes, I was with, I was, I was signed to as Mo, as Movement 98 when I was working with Carol Thompson who was a lovers rock singer at London and Ashley Newton who signed Massive Attack Spy Skills he was the head of A&R a Circa Virgin so I was signed to him and so I was doing tricky uh as I say Massive Attack Nana Cherry all, I was working in that space cuz I I just, as I say, I like all kinds of music. Mm. Trance didn't come yet. Yeah. Trance came when I when I did the Goa mix. And then I really found my niche in terms of the DJ and the sound. So that, that was that was a little bit later. At this time, you know, you could play a collective of music as a DJ because that's what came out of the Balearic scene. Yeah, it was. You wasn't yeah. playing. And then as you started, when I became the resident of Ministry of Sound, when that club opened... I defined a sound. So the Ministry of Sound opens. I'm the resident on Friday. I have my sound. Then I do cream as a resident. And then it's my sound develops
1: to what, becomes melodic trance music.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. These,
1: these were two important residencies, and your Cream residency well, was, is, yeah. is more legendary, probably, yeah. than any other in the UK. Do you remember what sort of year that would be? That's would 90, 97, something lying around that zone, yes. Yeah, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that and the, yeah. the, the super club explosion that happened so in I the a,
3: mid-90s? I was the uh, Ministry of Sound Open. I, they asked me... I'd be the resident on the Friday. Justin was... Yeah, Justin on the, Berkman, yes. Was on the Saturday. Yeah. Um, and Justin was, you know, he, he it was his club. I yes. Mean, he put he made that space happen. But he they did. asked me because <clears throat> I'd been there. It was based on a New York club called Paradise Garage. Yeah. So I'd been there and, and you know, even bought the mixer. I bought a Uri mixer. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, so so I I liked the whole idea of being a DJ and being a resident because I'd experienced it in New York. Yes. So for me, it was the obvious step. Right, now I'm the DJ, now I'm going to do this. And then Cream came along, and they allowed me to get involved in more than just turning up and playing, the, helping on the design of the sound system, the DJ booth, because I've been in proper DJ booths. And seeing how comfortable they are, because the DJs will play longer sets. Yeah. So I I said, can I help design the booth? So four turntables, uh, effects, recording setup. but no one can get in the booth. Mm. You can stand side of the booth, but you can't get in there, so you're left alone. Yeah. Uh, areas for your records sure three hour four hour sets uh lighting so you're not lit up like a christmas tree you're creating a mood because of the stories through the music and it allowed you to be free and really play yeah really be a part of uh uh, uh, and build something and and that was probably you know i've had a resident my last residency was three years in las vegas before that was home in nightclub, yeah. home nightclub in yeah. Leicester Square. I've had four, five residents, six, mm. two in Ibiza,
1: yeah, f- um, three in England, and one in Las Vegas. But that we'll talk about the Vegas one shortly, actually, because we need to talk about the 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 way that um, the, the scene has grown there. But yeah, the cream thing, um, yeah, I saw you play up there in that era, and there was something very special. I guess that didn't cross your, that wasn't your. Th- thing at the time, Eddie, was it? No,
0: no, 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 Uh, uh, no, my, my, you you were elsewhere. I I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was elsewhere. What year was this? Um, Mid nineties. Yeah. Ninety six. Yeah. Mid nineties. Well, I I was, I was at radio one yes with uh, with a little studio just making all the jingles and the promos and my and and my interface with dance music at that time was uh was Goldie was Liam was uh, yeah, yeah, was Big that. Beat was you know was the whole big beat thing Sure. that was where i was
1: so so we had all of that going on but then we had people travelling from all over the uk to come and to the to the cream residency and it was really quite something wasn't it yeah
3: it was yeah, it, it was, was uh, it was uh yeah, I mean, a lot of people, James, Darren, I mean, we we, we worked really hard on it. We, we would, you know, really... We had a lot of producers who were making music that I would play for four or five months and wouldn't release it. Deliberately, yeah. Bullet in a Gun, BT... These Grace kind, It's not, Grace not Over, something not over. like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're, you're I, you're and in. then I was making remixes, Manson, Wide Open Space... That was which a big was, one, wasn't that it? That was big. Uh, U2 Lemon... Yeah. yeah uh all these kind of uh tunes that I would do mixes for um and then it would it would I play them well in advance test them as yeah. you said earlier yeah
1: and uh, yeah it became it became quite iconic, actually, that and, club. And and as you said, you know, it, we, we also had the, the, the trance explosion then in this yeah. period of the 90s where... One of your records was massive, BBE. Yeah, mm. Seven Days in One Week and Veracoccia Carte Blanche and Binary Finery binary it was finery another one from, was uh, from my Positiva era. So so this was a very, very exciting time for music. And, of course, I suppose because the, the music was exciting, you had, yeah, this must have been a great moment for you as a dj now oh, yeah. sort of 96 97 yeah. 98 you're number one in in dj yeah, magazines it,
3: it was a real defining moment uh, and and then it, it, it's like two years every saturday going up and down the motorway and then i was like you know what i mean i, I could stay there or i can now go to america and now i was like i'm ready to go back to america been a different capacity now. So, I'm ready uh, to go back and be a, res- be, a be a, and I'd learned when I was on tour with you too. I studied actually. I really watched what went on and learned a lot from Paul McGuinness and how they approach things. And uh, the, the, the conversation I had if you want to break America, you've got to go and play. Yeah. Right? Well, so and I,
1: be there, not just dip in and out, really. And, and, and not just the two ends.
0: You've yeah, got to be right in the middle. You
3: know, you've got to be right in the middle. Exactly. Yeah. So
1: I went and played 120
3: shows in America in in the in the first year. I went to Birmingham, Alabama. I went f- Alaska. I went everywhere and played. And in and to time with it, I released a compilation called Traveling Transport. Right. Transport. Yeah. Yes. Called Transport. So I had an album. And I just went and went and went and yeah, went and I you- played anywhere and it
1: it laid the foundations down and and Once and I- again once again I've got to say it's the back to the work ethic again, right? Yep. That that because you were yep. at a high level as a DJ at this point, I presume that you could have gone, really yep. Birmingham, Alabama, yeah, you know, you're and right. the money's not as good as what I might be getting yep. in, in but I presume you went well, I'm, I'm always look, trying to look at the bigger picture.
3: Mm. So, you know, you've got to put the work in. That's exactly right. It's anything. If you don't put the work in, you, you can't expect anything to happen. Mm. So I knew that, if, that the only way I could become a big DJ in America was to go and put the work yes. in. So for two years, I grounded it out. Yeah. And I had an album, and then, you know, it's, things started to change again. You start to get offered movies to score. You start to get offered a games to work on. So then I opened for Madonna on her World Tour. It all... Comes from playing Birmingham.
0: From the <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was, That's brilliant. <laughs> and I presume the Bible for, Belt. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at this point in your life, you must have you you were uh, in inverted commas the number one DJ in the world. You were yeah. like the the DJ number one, weren't you? Like yeah, at that, yeah. Uh, 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 at that point, our album we sold a compilation that we sold half a million
3: compilations in America, which is unheard of now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was called Another World. That was my
0: second album after Transport. <laughs> And of course, back in the UK, you've got kids like Jamie and, uh, so and so from the Claxons listening to you and, you know, and, and that became part of their, then they, they turned that into a hit years later, didn't they? They turned, yeah. uh, uh, it's not over yet into a hit. So yeah, and you're a bouncer, effective. of course, and the bouncer, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's another. That's one thing that you both have got in common. Yeah, uh, is the, the <laughs> klaxons, Who'd Covered, have thought? Uh, yeah,
1: I have. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, Vegas. Let's talk about that then. So were you? So you were one of? Were you the first kind of high-profile European DJ to have a residence in Vegas? You must have been. Yeah, there you?
3: wasn't in two thousand and eight. So so I'd got. I was in. I'd now moved two thousand and one. I got offered this movie called. uh, this film called Swordfish Swordfish. and they asked me to score the movie Mm. uh, with with a composer called Christopher Young Um, and I was nervous I'd never done it before I'd wrote music but I'd never scored a 90 million dollar movie and and you ask you ask yourself questions like can I do it right you know and then I thought if I turn this down Nick I thought if I turn this down I will regret it i got to go so I I relocated for three months to work on this film. That changed because the film was was a, a hit. So I'm now living in America, and I'm doing all these movies and games and and DJing. Took a back step, and then and then I kind of came out of it in 2005, 2006, and I was like, you know what? I just want to DJ. I want to. So I started going back on the the tour. And then I thought, I need a residency, I need to be somewhere every week where it gives me stability, where I can go back to my roots of what I'd learned all these years ago. So I put it out there, I'm looking for a residency, and I'm in L.A. L.A. shuts at two, New York's five hours there and five hours back, so is Miami, and I'm thinking, where, where can I go? And in Vegas at the time, there was none of the hotels had clubs. 2008. No hotels had, had nightclubs. Palms Casino had one, and uh, there was a nightclub called Ice, which was really off off the strip. So we put a team together, the birth of Planet Perfecto, uh, which was the idea of you go to this, this galaxy of uh, and place where there's crazy things going on because you can get away mm, with it in yeah, Vegas. Yeah. So we had we had fire eaters, we had people on trapezes. It really was a planet. Uh, and then from 2008 to 2011, I played there nearly every single Saturday, yep. and that was the birth of 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 the residency in Vegas. And so then all the other clubs, all the other hotels realized that you can have four, 000, five thousand people paying 50 60 dollars which is like 50 pound to get in and bottle service and all this and and now clubs and and the pool parties are the main source of income for um casinos yes and calvin and and these guys are all making a a lot of money and doing incredibly well i mean they pack them every week
0: yeah, yeah yeah yeah. No, yeah. It's,
1: it's been a, an amazing story the the way that Vegas has has changed over yeah. uh, over the years. Game sure. changer
0: absolutely. You mentioned Calvin Harris, you know, that's uh in a sense where you should we should talk to him, you know, because he's uh he's the biggest DJ in the world because of Vegas. You should you should definitely talk to Calvin.
3: Yeah. Cal- Calvin is incredibly unique and I mean talented. Another he's, hard work incredibly hard <clears throat> worker, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean he, he, he came on tour, he opened for me on one of my tours and we got to know one another well. Huh. Um yeah, no, and Mark Gillespie, who's his manager with God's Kitchen, Mark yes. Gillespie was involved. Yeah, that that'd be a good one to get them both on. Actually, yeah, we yeah, I, well, yeah
0: we've talked about this. I really want. To. I'm a big fan of done. Calvin's, and I think you know, if anyone says he's not a trailblazer, I would argue with them. I think he is, and yeah. uh, I think he'd be perfect. I think you know, he, he's uh, he perhaps to be the youngest person we talk to. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm. A, I've always been a big fan of his. I yeah. supported him from day one. You know, when nobody nobody was really taking him seriously, I was.
1: Let's let's hear some more some more music. As you're pioneering the the concept of a residency in in Vegas, what was the, was there a record that you? Yeah,
3: would... I think it was my. I did a. Um, I, it started off as a bootleg, and then I released it officially on Perfecto's other side. It was when I took the lyric from uh, and the guitar line from Red Hot Chili Peppers, so I I put it put it together. It was the theme. Uh, of my residency every week no one had it and then Mm -hmm. we got permission from the band to release it so um i could send you that or you can get it on perfecto we released it yeah that was the that was the tune okay and what what is that tune that so it's called it's it's by myself and it's called other side and it features the sample of red hot chili peppers
2: trailblazers paul oakenfold
0: So let's, in effect, catch up with the recent Paolo control because, you know, the, the, we're, still, we're, we're hearing some brilliant stories, some of which are, you know, the stuff of legend. But just let's just have a catch up. What have you been up to, like, just in the last sort of several years? We need to so let's catch so, up now to, the, mm, to, to this current point in time.
3: The last several years have been quite interesting, because when you get to this moment where, you know, I was touring with Madonna... So I did three tours, world tours as the opening act, of
0: course, because uh, Maverick was. Because was... I was
3: signed to Maverick, yeah. Um, so I suddenly left Vegas and was on tour with Madonna. Uh, then I started to go back in the studio and start to write tunes, club tunes primarily. Uh, I, I mentioned briefly when I had that moment where I was having pop hits. I found it very uncomfortable. Uh, my second artist album came out. It did well. I had Ryan Tedder, Pharrell Williams, but a, um, and um, the big record off of that was Faster to Kill Pussycat with yeah. Brittany Murphy. So I was kind of dabbling in all these different things, and then the orchestra work because I'd worked in film for so long. I was like, well, I was in the room with all these orchestras, and I was like, well, why don't I try and put them into electronic music because it just felt right because i was doing it naturally so then i was doing uh the boston pops which is the iconic venue like the royal albert hall in boston hollywood bowl a couple of times um and this is 2008 even a little earlier right um and again, it's one of those things where you know I I, I did this game for Born Conspiracy, which was Born Identity. So me and CeeLo did a track, and we performed with an all-girl orchestra, which was which was really great. Um... And, and you, 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 you realise that it's very expensive
1: to do.
0: Sure. Of course, of course. But you were, uh, interestingly, ahead of the curve again, uh, again Paul, because you know, everyone's it, doing the orchestra thing now, aren't yeah, they?
1: Yeah, it, it's like, you're like, like let's have a residence in Vegas, let's do this, thing. you know, there's multiple times in your career, isn't there, where you, you're sort of first... And then yeah, you tip the domino, and then know. there's a, a, <laughs> <of> a catch-up <laughs> <laughs> catch yeah.
0: process.
1: Yes, so well, I mean, are you going to do anything more in that yeah, orchestral I, I, space? I, yeah, I, I'm.
3: I want to. I want to just let it settle. Uh, I don't want to do nothing. Respectfully, I don't need to touch on Ibiza. I don't want to touch on current times. I'm, I'm. I'm. i have an idea. A lot of people have asked me to do the Go and Mix live, right? Ooh. Mm. Which, because the goa mix is fundamental, the base of the goa mix is score,
0: yeah, mm. film, mm. loads of strings.
3: It's all strings. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and there's spoken dialogue. There's moments from picture. There's there's a lot there. So, and if I do it, I want to do it in a very unique settings. I don't want to, at the typical places hence
1: yes
2: you see where it's going were you you going to say Royal Albert Hall (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
3: yeah (laughs) Paul Oakley with a a London Philamontia Royal Albert yeah okay you know but somewhere which is just I have to go in that time and moment I have to if you say you're going to do, something, you want to, I'd rather you come and see me doing the Goa mix live with an amazing backdrop, something like that. So, yes. in this in, in Goa on a pontoon <laughs> as the sun <laughs> setting behind you. So these things are difficult, really difficult to pull off. Yes. So it's coming. I'm in no rush to do yeah, it. Yeah. I, I've done the orchestra thing from 2005. Yeah. So I, I've I've done that. If I do it again. It has to be special, is, is, and is, exactly, is, and worth doing. You know, so what, what 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 does that mean? Well, I've got to flush flush it all out and go. Well, for once only, I will do that iconic Goa mix that was mm. number one on Radio One mm. and da, da da. I will do it f- five shows in in England mm. at these places, and then mm. it's done. So that's kind of the, where I'm at in terms
0: of figuring it out. Yeah. Stonehenge. <laughs> okay, that's another conversation. Um, so you've got to basically do it in, in places that are as epic as your career. So, um, or is different, or is it the challenge? So, um, well, so should we ask you? Uh, is it time now to? Is it time to ask him about the aliens and what he's going to do about them? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the question is, right, so the aliens have come, they are making an intergalactic superhighway, and they're, they're doing a survey of this, star, of this solar system, and they're going, well, should we put this massive motorway here? We, we, you know, we'd have to get rid of the Earth to put this down. And you've got to make a case for the aliens to not destroy the Earth and destroy some other planet, and, and your case is one tune. You've got to play them a song which is going to save the world. Well, if, Well... Um, maybe look at it the other
3: way around, that we're already destroying the earth, right? And it's humans who are fucking everything up, right? Totally so true. So I would sum it up with Marvin Gaye, what's going on?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
3: well... That's he made that record 30 years ago, and we're still fucking talking about the same things. So that, to me, is let them destroy it. I, I, I wow. you know we'd, we, we will destroy ourselves <laughs> well, so, we are clearly you know, already destroying it yeah that's yeah. a very very so, good point you know, so it's, it's you know there are, I don't think there is one song that can save the world no. but I think there's a one song that asks you the question we need to save the world not aliens and it's Marvin Gaye what's going on what the fuck is going on with us what are we doing we're fucking everything up and we need to get it together because we will fuck it up for our children
2: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that
3: I, close. Yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah. Look at look what's going on in the oceans. Look what's going on with climate change. I mean, you know, how, how close do we need it to go before someone says, "Come on, enough's enough"?
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you can see, you can see that there's a seed change going on with people all around the world, and and you know, even the the, the, ch- listen the Chinese to the lyric. are being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you're you know you're absolutely right. We, know,
3: we all know the song really well. The listener, uh, you know, you listen to the lyric, and as 30 years ago,
1: right? More, more,
3: more? Than, yeah, way more, yeah, yeah more, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. but well, ama- amazing piece of music, yeah. Now, let's let's uh, let's hear it, let's hear it, let's leave on that
2: trailblazers. Oh, what's going on? What's
0: Okay, so we've heard the tune that uh, that is Paul Oakenfold's tune to save the world, and and with very good reason. I guess, in a nutshell, Paul, what's happening on the horizon for you? I mean, we we've we've touched a little bit on on your uh, possible uh, orchestra thing. My new album's finished, so I really want to get it out. It it
3: really represents me where I am now and working in film and game. It's mainly down tempo. It's song. It's all about songs, which going back to my father and. And A um, and R roots his songs. Um, the we made we shot this in VR. The experience. We made a documentary. We just this is on the. He's holding his holding
0: uh, Everest, Everest Everest base so camp CD. There,
3: there's a movie, There's a documentary coming out, and you you can see what went on. Uh, we we visited. Some of the oldest monasteries in en route as you go up to mm. base camp. Mm. We recorded some of these the instruments that the monks perform and chant with and I took that and put it into electronic music to see if it could fit. So all this plays out. Um and then big shows like Main Stage Tomorrowland, Creamfields, the the usual. I mean it's a busy year um this year, but really enjoying it Great, yeah. I really like it I'm going to Russia
0: tomorrow for the World Cup so I'm like so happy <laughs> oh, to be
1: there. still on holiday yes, yes. still yes. on
0: holiday and looking I mean now that you've you know you, you must be slightly mind blown now just I mean I, I am in a way just looking back at the last your last 30 years I mean the last 25 years how are you feeling how do you feel now I, I, I think it's all I think for all of us it goes
3: quick right I mean oh, it it was, Saying he's by, yeah. Positive as 25 That's years, right. yeah. Right, you know, it, 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 I'm sure for yourself, I mean, it's wonderful, but
1: it goes so fast, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything time just, flies when you're having fun, though, right? Yeah, yeah. But you
3: know what I've you know what I try and do? I try and be in the moment more. I, I when you're at airports, do when you're at an airport, just stand there and look around. What happens is you're either on your phone, you're either on a laptop. Or you're either in your mind thinking about I've got to do this, I've got to go there, I've got to, what's going on. You're not actually in the moment. And if you just put it all down and just look around, because when you look around, you're in the moment. Yeah. that's when you sit. And I see this a lot. And I'm trying to be in the moment more. I'm trying to just enjoy this moment. This moment, right? Us for here, we're having fun. We're talking about shooting the shit. We've all got stories, and enjoy it you know and i go to i was at unicef last week um i was on the training pitch with some of these Football players, and I'm like, oh my god, I come ringing my brother going, I can't believe I'm here. To guess who's over there? And, and you're like, you may never ever be here again. You may never ever meet Dave Seaman, who was Arsenal's goalkeeper. <laughs> and my brother's a big Arsenal fan, yeah. you know. And I'm not like, big, you know, big Sam Allardyce, yep. Harry, you know, Redner. Uh, Harry Redner. Yeah. They're all there, you know. And then you're up at the ground in Manchester United and you're in the dressing rooms at Man United, and you're like, this is fucking great. Yeah. yeah. But that's being in the moment.
0: Yeah. yeah now mate. Yeah. Nowism. That's a very strong finish. Very strong very finish. Very important. Absolutely fantastic, Paul. What an absolute joy it was to uh, to speak to you. I think this is probably the longest trail. Sorry, about that. Ever. No, No. Sorry, sorry. sorry no. Take that as a compliment. Sorry. That a compliment. Take that as a compliment. Do not apologise <laughs> yeah, in any way. It's you. been an absolute joy. Yeah. No, thanks, guys. Thanks, Pre- appreciate
2: it. Thank you. Deezer, Deezer. originals. Trailblazers. That was,
1: and what a great way to kick off Series 2, Paul Oakenfold.
0: What an amazing life. Mm. I knew that was going to be a good one. And, uh, you know, world's first superstar DJ and an absolute legend, first uh, DJ ever to produce a record. Mm. Uh, Incredible. I knew it was going to be good, but with greatest respect to Paul, I think that the next one might actually be the best one we've ever done, and it's with one of your all-time heroes, Nick.
1: It is, and we're going to just reveal who that is shortly, but first a little message to make sure that you don't miss the next episode do make sure that you subscribe now uh, with your usual podcast provider and please leave us a a lovely five star rating if you enjoyed what you heard or head to deezer.com to check out the full
0: trailblazers playlist and more episodes from series one
2: trailblazers
0: our next episode is uh, one of nick hawks's absolute heroes and a man that i am in awe of mr david rodigan mbe
2: deezer originals